we look at a couple different models. And one is we look at five key dimensions of mindset. And one of those is what's your view of selling? Is it, this is a noble profession. I'm making a difference in people's lives. I'm creating value for companies, for customers. Or am I just selling stuff? And unfortunately, too many people have grown up with a bad view of selling. I mean, how many movies do we see where sales is up on a pedestal or something really proud of? It's not, which is a shame because it's a noble profession. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. What's happening? Good revealers, fellow listeners of the Reveal Brethren. Oh my God, we're getting increasingly cringy. I better stop while I'm ahead. Danny Wasserman, Danny the Rev, coming to you for another weekly episode. Joined today by the CEO of Integrity Solutions, Mike Esterday. One of the things that I love about this episode, Mike starts with the notion, the belief, well, if you have a negative outlook on the role in which you occupy, the team you work for, the product you sell, you've already forfeited the race. This notion that intrinsic belief in what it is that you do, who you are, then determines all of the downstream results. I love that this idea of self-confidence then begets more actual or financial or professional success. Mike's also going to talk about this idea of committing cardinal offenses, like reeking of what he refers to affectionately as commission breath, which prospects and customers can smell from a mile away. He'll double click into that. And most importantly, when given the choice between going for the sale immediately versus doing the right thing and favoring the long-term, Mike espouses that it's always better for everyone involved to go with the latter. No more listening to me. It's time to tune in to Mike yesterday. So I'll shut up because you know what time it is? DJ Spin. Ladies and gents, welcome back to another week at Reveal. Yes, Danny Wasserman here in the Gong Studios, joined by someone who is at the helm of a sales, coaching, and training company that's been around for over 55 years. He himself been involved in the organization for 35 of those, currently sitting at the perch of Integrity Solutions as the CEO, boasting expertise with advising industries, including but not limited to agriculture energy, financial services, healthcare, retail, transportation, and the list goes on. Hailing from Nashville, Tennessee today, we have, not yesterday, but Mike Esterday is in the house. Mike, welcome to Reveal. Hey, Danny, good to talk to you. I've got a lot of kidding about that name. Yesterday, oh. today, tomorrow. Oh, I love it. Well, he is here at all points across the temporal continuum. Mike, I'm looking at Integrity's website and splashed right on the homepage is this idea that at integrity you're taking traditional sales and you're claiming that what you do is actually what really works. Those are the actual words that are on the website. So I want to start there because when we consider, okay, traditional sales aren't working, what's missing. And by extension, what is your team doing that's providing your clients with either the secret sauce, the secret weapon, the missing link, to close those gaps. Well, I'm delighted to. Really, a couple of things. It's interesting because, Danny, a lot of times, unfortunately, sales workshops don't work. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I've been to a lot of training that I wanted, yeah. I needed, 
It was a good trainer, good content. I left with good intentions, but then nothing happened. I got back to my office and, you know, I got stuff to do. So it ends up sitting on a shelf someplace. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things that we believe. One is that a workshop is only the beginning. There must be a structured follow-up after that to get people to practice the ideas, figure out how does this work for me with my customers and my personality, my level of experience, and also manage as much coaching. So you got to have managers coaching, structured follow-up. And really a second thing is too many times it's focused only on skills. And there's really three conversations we believe that are involved in sales success. Mm-hmm. One is that conversation with your customers. We've got to get better at that. How do we approach people, establish rapport, you know, value proposition, objections, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But there's a second conversation that people probably have more times all day long than any others, and that's the conversation they have with themselves in their head. What do I think sales is? How yeah. successful do I think I can be? Am I just going to be average like my last job? Can I be a top performer? So the mindset that people have and the skill set both need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most sales training only deals with skills. So if you mm-hmm. pair the two together, it really turbocharges the effectiveness of, of sales training. And you talked about most of the workshops, not because the content isn't great, not because the facilitator wasn't awesome, but most workshops and trains fail because they lack as you described that reinforcement, that coaching after the fact. And as someone who sits within enablement, I wrestle with this all the time. Generally speaking, it's not as fun to do the reinforcement. It's a little bit of a slog. Also, I have yet to find what is the right amount of time to reinforce something? Is it six weeks? Is it 12 weeks, right? Life creeps in, other distractions from the business creep in. At a certain point, people are sick of hearing about the same thing. We know you can't ignore the necessary evil that is reinforcement, but do you at Integrity have an opinion or a best practice as to how long this next chapter in the training should take? Well, we've looked at that from a lot of different ways and all kinds of industries around the world. And a lot of studies say that it takes 21 to 32 days to start forming new behaviors. Mm-hmm. So we believe it needs to be at least three or four weeks And our preference is about six to eight weeks. So if somebody does something for eight weeks with manager coaching and and help them guide how they use it, they're going to have a better chance of actually creating new behaviors, new attitudes, and a belief that I can perform at a higher level. Yeah. Great. Let's talk about that second conversation too. Uh, The idea that, okay, you can have the skills, you can have the competencies, but the internal dialogue that you have, that sense of either confidence, self-assuredness, resilience, anything that's the internal dialogue. One of my favorite mentors and trainers talks about this idea. Feelings that you have influence your beliefs. And then your beliefs influence your actions. Then your actions then determine what your behaviors are. And yes. in the second conversation, you're really describing, what are those feelings? Do I feel good about myself? Maybe I got fired from my last job and those feelings of self-doubt trickle into my new job, which then influence this cascading sequence of beliefs, activities, and behaviors. How do you guys at Integrity address those feelings? We, we look at a couple of different models. And one is we look at five key dimensions of mindset. Mm-hmm. And one of those is what's your view of selling? Mm-hmm. Is it, this is a noble profession. 
I'm making a difference in people's lives. I'm creating value for companies, for customers, or am I just selling stuff? And unfortunately, too many people have grown up with a bad view of selling. I mean, how many movies do we see where sales is up on a pedestal or something really proud of? It's not, which is a shame because it's a noble profession. Number two is what's the view of my abilities? Do I think that I can perform and be successful at this company the way they want me to be successful? Is my view of selling in alignment with my view of my abilities? The third piece is values. Do I do the right thing? Am I trustworthy? Customers today are screaming for connection, for honesty, for authenticity. So if I can come across with positive values, that's a plus. Number four is commitment to activities. And that's two parts. Do I clearly understand the activities necessary to be successful at this job? But more importantly, am I willing to do all the things, yeah. even the ones that are uncomfortable? Or do I tend to tend to do tension relieving activities, procrastinate, call reluctance, whatever, instead of doing what I need to do? And the fifth one is belief in product. Do I have a passionate belief in what I'm selling? And maybe at times I may not have the best product on the market, but do I believe that the company that stands behind it do I believe that I'm the one that can make a difference? So if we can bring in alignment, a positive view of selling, this is a noble profession. I can sell this way. It's congruent with my values. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. And people need to have what I'm selling. That releases achievement drive. And achievement drive is really the multiplier of success we believe in sales. When Mike says things like success begins with self-confidence, he really knows what he's talking about. A Harvard Business Review study shows that a salesperson who believes in themselves, well, that individual is 50% more likely to close deals than those who don't possess that degree of confidence. See what we're talking about? Positive thinking produces positive outcomes. Separately from HBR, a HubSpot study found that a seller with a positive attitude, well, he or she is 21% more profitable and 17% more productive than his or her counterparts with a negative attitude. Just goes to show that more data is backing up Mike's conclusions. Let's get back to Mike and hear a little bit more. Well, you talk about the sense of sales internally to start. Do I think that this is a slimy profession? Is it icky? Is it manipulative? Is it mercurial? And if you succumb to that belief, well, you've already sabotaged yourself. You've shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. We can, with your help, we can control how we perceive sales with the nobility you describe. A, a person we had on the podcast just recently talked about sales and to sell is a privilege, which I love. Yes. We can control that narrative internally, and yet we have to combat the stigma that our customers have of sellers and sales. So talk to us a little bit about how we overcome that stigma that exists outside the four walls of our company. Well, that is so true because customers, they've got the same impression too often as salespeople. And, yes. you know, today there's so much technology that can help salespeople. Uh -huh. I was at a Gartner conference recently. I said that 27% of salespeople's time will be freed up because of technology, you know, things like what you're doing there are gong and, and other good technologies. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what's that mean the salespeople are going to do with that time? Are they going to fall into the same category and sound like every other salesperson who's a pest or sounds like a, a script that doesn't mean anything, that's inauthentic, 
or are they going to come across with the proper preparation? Are they going to come across with a sincere curiosity to really learn from that customer? Mm-hmm. People can pick up the difference. Uh, Danny, I grew up on a farm in Illinois, and you know my dad. Uh, you know, we were sitting in sitting in the barnyard one time. I was probably ten years old. Lived on a gravel road, mm-hmm. and we saw this guy coming. You could always tell the dust coming over the hill. My yeah. dad recognized the car, and he knew as a salesperson. And he turned to me and told me what was about to happen to us, not for us, but to us. And sure enough, the guy hopped out, had this kind of fake smile, and I'll never forget it. Too too many times, customers and salespeople have a bad experience with salespeople. The question is, what can I do to show up different? How can I sound different? How can I be sincere? How can I do yeah. the proper preparation? When I do that, it's not going to be 100% of the time. But but we want the customer leaving saying, that was a different experience. People are craving trust, like I said, and connection and authenticity. And in today's time of so much technology, the human element, we want to double down on the human element because yeah. people we believe really are the, the, the algorithm in the, in the equation of sales. And when you talk about doubling down on humanizing sales, I don't dispute that. And you're more inclined to release some of that skepticism when you trust the human that you're sitting across the table from or that you shake hands with as opposed to the bot or the algorithmic produced script that you receive in your inbox next to the dozens of others you've already received. And yet, when the margins for error are so slim and the competition is higher than it's ever felt, now we have, unfortunately, warring or contradictory forces that are tugging and pulling at us. We should use technology to find efficiencies. That's where all the trends seem to be going and amassing even more technological adoption in our sales process. But does that fly in the face of maintaining a human element in this process? Or can they exist simultaneously next to one another? I think they can be be existing simultaneously. Absolutely. We are all in on technology. At our company, we mm-hmm. try to use every bit of technology we can to get efficiencies. But at the same time, when you have that human interaction, does it sound like a human-to-human conversation? Mm-hmm. Or does it sound, do you come across like a bot? Yeah. Do you understand behavior style? Do you understand how to pick up the tendencies of energy levels and try to talk with the with the person at the level that they want to, whether it's facts and figures or bottom line or or more friendly and open? Can you pick that stuff up? Can, can you sense when's the time to close up and move on? Yeah. Uh, when, is, when you're just beating your head against the wall, it's the, it's the art and the science of sales yeah. that I think is exciting and intriguing because it's not exactly the same every day. Totally. And you use this incredibly profound example from your dad. This is going to happen to us and not for us. What are some of the techniques or the competencies that you've trained, whether it's folks that take your courses or whether it's the people that work at Integrity? How do you remind them amidst all of the technology? Ooh, we're getting dangerously close to two territory and we're migrating away from four territory, which is where we really want to be. Well, a question I think salespeople should ask themselves is, am I product focused? Mm-hmm. Am I just trying to push product and sell stuff? Or am I truly customer needs focused? Mm-hmm. And customer needs focused 
is a mindset that I am here to create value for that customer. Mm-hmm. Now, the value may be in the quality of the questions I ask. Yep. It may be in the actual service or product I deliver. Maybe I don't make a sale now, but I build the relationship where I make the sale down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, a lot about skill set of do I know how to ask the right questions? Do I know how to prepare properly? Yeah. Not over prepare, not under prepare. But do I understand that art and the science of of communication? And when they do that, people can extend their conversations. They can have call continuums. They can get more stakeholders involved. If people come across that they really believe you're there for them, not just trying to sell a product. And the idea that it is incumbent upon a seller to create value, to drive value, which I think implies you're contributing something to the exchange with the customer, either in the information you provide, the advice you provide, the products that you supply them with. But what's fascinating, Mike, you're talking about a contribution in the form of the caliber and the integrity of the questions you ask, which is in some ways counterintuitive. Because if you think about the classic analogy, you know, deposits and withdrawals in a bank, and you can't over withdraw on a relationship that you're just getting started with, what you're suggesting is, hey, I can actually contribute based on how thought-provoking, personalized, tailored my questions are. So tell us a little bit about what does feel counterintuitive. How does listening and question asking lend itself to driving value, to contributing value to not even a customer, but a prospect? We think probably the biggest skill to gain as a salesperson is good listening skills. Mm-hmm. You know, too often salespeople have been misled and told that selling or think that selling is telling, is mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. Whereas professional, really sales professionals are good listeners. Hmm. And we believe we have a sales process, a conversation process, simple six step. And there's a lot of good ones out there, but we know that ours works when you gain rapport. You want to get people talking mm-hmm. when you're asking questions in a discovery stage. We ought to be listening 80% of the time and getting the customer talking, whether you're asking two questions or it's a longer interview. Even when you're demonstrating too often, all of a sudden it's now I turn on the switch and I'm all doing, doing all the talking. Uh, it ought to be a conversation. It ought to be 50-50. So listening is a skill that people need to develop and and that's where managers need to get good at coaching people on how to listen effectively. And that's where we talked about this, this eight-week structured follow-up or whatever period of time that you reinforce training. The managers need to be in sync with what that training is and understand how do I model it, support it, and coach to those skills. Because too often, managers were successful salespeople. They may have had a hot product, just may have been good naturally, mm-hmm. but they haven't been really taught how to coach other people to sell effectively and listen effectively. Well, the operative term you use is this idea of listening, which seems like as good a segue as ever to ask you some questions about this book that you've written. So it's called Listen to Sell. What was the inspiration behind it? How can we get a hold of it? Give us the full rundown. Well, Listen to Sell is taking what we've learned over the last 50 years mm-hmm. and figure out how do, we, how do we make sure it communicates to today's uh, market? With all the technology and some people even realizing that, well, is sales even going to be a profession in the future? Will it all be technology? We believe today 
is the best time in history to be in sales. Mm. There's more opportunity. Customers are confused. They can go online and Google something and find maybe 10,000 potential solutions, but they need help and advice, especially with very important decisions. And this is where a professional salesperson is really needed. So we wanted to bring what we've learned over these years about a sales process, how do you listen effectively, and throughout how to coach this effectively. Uh, in the book, every chapter has coaching questions mm. that you can use yourself to coach yourself mm -hmm. or a manager can use to coach people. So we may talk about listening in this chapter, but then how do you actually coach to that? Uh, so it's a lot of practical things, some assessments built into it, and there's a number of free things people can you know, go to our website and, and download in addition to the book. Great. Well, it, it jogs my memory to a time when I was taking a sales training from a facilitator who's a former C-suite executive. And he talks about this idea that given how many directions these prospects, particularly executives, are being ripped in, their time's so valuable. And within a split second, based on that first question you ask, they're going to form a snap judgment. And he yes. uses this idea that if I'm on the receiving end of a seller and I'm an executive, the way I want to feel based on the question you're asking, subsequently how you're listening, is that I know as the executive, based on what it is that you ask me, that you as the seller know that we know about the same caliber or sophistication of issues that are influencing my decision making. So he abbreviates that as I know that you know that we know. And I love that synthesis of how you need to establish early on a mutual respect for your customer, but conveyed in a series of questions rather than you telling them. I'm curious, would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? Absolutely. And today we have so many tools to help us learn about somebody we're calling on. Mm -hmm. Whether it's LinkedIn, Navigator, all the different things we can find out. But what are the issues they're dealing with in the industry and in their company? And be relevant instead of just asking open-ended questions that have no, no value to, to the customer. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yes, uh, it's critical to gain that rapport and that, that uh, uh, attention quickly today. Uh, I get so many calls, Danny, and emails from salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I probably am down to a fraction of a second that yeah. I can tell I don't want to talk to this person. Yeah. So it is critically important that you don't sound like everybody else and you come across as a real human. Well, I'm thinking about the margin for error that you've got in remaining human versus sounding like the next Tom, Dick or Harry, whether it's seller or bot. For sure, that first question needs to convey that rarefied air that we're all striving to be a part of. The other thing I want to address that you mentioned, you do a Google search for a simple question and you are, as you said, inundated with tens of thousands, if not millions of possible answers to your question, which leaves you in a state of paralysis. I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to trust because I'm getting conflicting answers. And we had maybe call it a year, year and a half ago, we had Matt Dixon on the podcast, who's the author of both the Challenger Sale, which roughly 10 years ago made waves across the sales community, how we need to be bold and daring and really get people to think why they have no choice but to change from their status quo, revolutionary philosophy. And now within the last year and a half, he's published his book called The Jolt Effect, which is actually taking it one step further and describing how 
because of the paralysis of indecision, in other words, the fear of getting something wrong, we need to prescribe what it is that our customers should do because they're daunted, they're fearful, they're absolutely stuck wondering with all the choices I could make, which is the right one. Again, kind of want to bounce that off of you. Does that resonate with what you're seeing at Integrity? Does that fly in the face of your research? Talk to us. Yeah, there's so many uh, challenges for customers today. Uh, I was listening to a podcast one time and they said the challenge today isn't so much in selling, but it's a challenge for the customer to buy uh -huh. mm -hmm. because there are so many choices today. Yeah. You can Google something, as you've said, and you can find so many choices. I need help in thinking through what's the right choice for me. Yeah. So that's where a professional salesperson brings insights and they bring prescription, as you said, to help that customer think through the right decision. When you talk about the pressures of, you know, obviously wanting to create value and that's through listening more than it is telling, there's inherently also, as you said, maybe I'm not going to make the sale today, but I am going to make it down the road by doing the right thing and driving value. We all carry a quota and we don't yeah. have the luxury of quota existing off in perpetuity, whether it's monthly, whether it's quarterly, whether it's annually, those can also be competing pressures. And when you see people who are falling behind in their quota, how could you not blame them for choking up a little bit on their pipeline, on their deals, on their prospects to get dollars in? What are the ways in which you release some of that pressure so that people aren't short-sighted and driving for the close at all costs, which might come at the expense of driving value? Well, it's tough because the closer we are to a deadline, we're going to hit a quota and haven't done it, the more pressure I tend to put on myself and the more yeah. pressure on the customer. Mm -hmm. And someone told me one time, the customer can smell that commission breath. They can oh. tell if you really have to make a sale yeah. And the more that they you push on the customer, the more they tend to push back. Yeah. So it's a delicate dance we've got to make of knowing I've got to make a sale. I've got something my manager says I've got to do. Yeah. But at the same time, almost have an attitude if they buy fine, if they don't buy fine. Mm -hmm. And when you have that attitude internally, of, I'm going to do the right thing. It tends to relax you and it mm -hmm. tends to cause people to sell more. Yeah. It's a counterintuitive type of thing. But I remember being in a, a sales situation years ago. Uh, it was going to be a huge sale for us. I was at about the 30th floor in Park Avenue in a building downtown New York City. We had millions of dollars on the line. I was up against some really tough competitors. Everybody thought they would get the deal. Yeah. But we went in with that attitude, and we'd done a lot of research, and we connected with the people, and they believed they could trust us instead of mm -hmm. the other you know, ones that they thought would get the deal. And now that's been a client for over 20 years. So we, it doesn't always work, Danny, but if we can have that mindset of I'm here to create value, that's my mindset. Yeah. Uh, it tends to, things tend to work out better. I really like the idea of you can smell the commission breath. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Probably oh, yeah. guilty of breathing down our prospects next with it, but then also being on the receiving end too, where Full you can size. just, you can smell the desperation. So incredibly visceral sensory experience that I'm having on this side of the microphone. Well, I'm thinking about everything that you've shared with us from again, commission breath to the idea of listening as opposed to telling and everything about 
the traditional form of sales that's being challenged by technology, but that technology should be embraced rather than resisted so long as it doesn't yes. come at the expense of humanizing the approach and the nobility of the profession, which I love. I'm looking at the clock, and as we're coming down to the end of our episode, Mike, I want to ask you the same question, which is the same one we ask all of our guests. So this shouldn't come as a surprise as a listener, but which is, you know, Mike, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Well, I've heard you on many podcasts ask that question. So I did think about that. And I thought, you yeah. know, with our book coming out, Listen to Sell, it really should be listen. And I believe mm -hmm. that is true because the key to successful sales is listening, listening to your customers, listening to yourself. What kind of negative talk do you have? What kind of positive talk? Mm -hmm. Listen to your manager and the coaching that you get. So I'd say listen is a key leverage point there. Well, I love also the idea that it's not even just listening to what it is that your customer or your internal colleagues and constituents are telling you. What is the dialogue that you have with yourself? Because if you have self-sabotaging thoughts, you've already forfeited the race. So really meaningful reckoning for all of us who are listening of the 33,000 reveal listeners. Ask yourself, am I in the right headspace to continue down this noble profession or do I wrongfully destructively believe that I'm part of this slimy machine. And if it's the latter, then you really owe it to yourself to take a listen to Mike's book, Listen to Sell. Mike, where can they get it? When's it going to be on the shelves? Uh, it's going to be available February 6th on Amazon and all kinds of bookstores and so forth. So February 6th, or go to their website, listentosellbook.com or visit us at integritysolutions.com. Amazing. Well, again, one more time, we've got Mike Esterday. Certainly nothing he's saying is relevant to yesterday, but always talking about things relevant for today and into the future. With 35 years of experience at Integrity Solutions, currently at the helm of a behemoth monolithic thought leader in the sales training coaching consulting space. Mike, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming to Reveal. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Danny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, well, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.